Welcome to the Beacon Church Podcast. Each week we post a sermon from our last Sunday service so you can catch up, review, or share with your friends. We pray as you listen to this week's episode, you're encouraged and equipped to love God, love people, grow in Christ, and serve the world. Well, good morning, everybody. The proclamation had been declared, but the slaves remained unemancipated. It was 1863, President Abraham Lincoln had issued the Emancipation Proclamation, and that declared a formal end to slavery in the United States. Momentous, absolutely. However, the change was not instant after the proclamation for everyone. Nearly two and a half years later, June 19th, 1865, the enslaved African-Americans of Galveston, Texas, heard by way of the Union Army about the emancipation, that freedom had come at last. And that next year, the people of Galveston gathered to celebrate the day that they had heard. And so since then, It had been celebrated and observed in communities and states as a holiday and in 2021 officially recognized as a federal holiday called Juneteenth. Now the Christian life is much like that. We have already been declared free and we have been granted our freedom and yet... We're not fully experiencing it. We're not quite there yet. And so today, we actually will often feel hopeless or harried or harassed. And sometimes we get so overwhelmed that we turn to self-medicating. Maybe we drink too much or some illicit sex, or maybe some, some sloth, a little bit of laziness, anything that kind of numbs the pain. We end up living as slaves to ourselves. Other times we simply get overwhelmed by our circumstances. We look at our lives and, and we look at the progress that we've made and it's something falls just a little bit short. Maybe you had a dream board or maybe it was a grandmother who continued to, to tell you where you should have been at this point in your life. And so the calendar turns another year and you think about your age and you think about everything you were supposed to do and, and all of the things you had told yourself it was absolutely going to happen and it hasn't yet. Those things seem to be elusive. You haven't found that person or you haven't had those kids or you don't live in that neighborhood or you've missed out on that promotion, whatever it might be, things aren't shaping up the way you had imagined and yet you feel compelled to continue to pursue it. Maybe the failures to attain everything that this world offers is so punishing you, punishing that you feel the pressure to manically or maybe even a little maniacally continue to claw your way up the ladder but rarely ever stop and ask, what is it that I'm actually clawing after? Maybe sadness and disbelief at 
some shattered dreams or some lost opportunities or maybe some unrealized potential that you knew was in you is causing a darkness to take root somewhere deep in your soul. It wouldn't be entirely unlike the experience of the very first Christians. The very first followers of Jesus. They had walked with Jesus. They had, they had been taught by Jesus. And he promised them all of these amazing things. These incredible things. And, and, and there was such excitement building among them. And so many of the people who had followed him. And he was feeding people. And he was healing people. And he was, he was declaring that the kingdom of God was finally going to come upon the earth and in fact in some way it was already there and so they had all of these hopes and they had all of these dreams and they had these expectations and they had seen such incredible things but on that dreadful day the cross nothing nothing much made sense anymore it just didn't seem to matter because there, Jesus hung. He was now rejected by his people. Most of his followers had abandoned him, his friends as well. His family mostly considered that he'd gone crazy. And he's now been executed by an oppressive government. And he's in a tomb, dead. And there was no sense of hope that something incredible was in the making. And then on the third day, something began to happen. The Bible doesn't give us a lot of details, but I kind of like to imagine things in the scriptures. I think we have some freedom to kind of think about what it might have been like. And so, and so I, I think through the resurrection and I think about the, the, the corpse of Jesus, decaying corpse sitting in a tomb, and I wonder what, what happened first. Like, did we hear some rumbling start to happen? Like, was there some grinding as the stone that had been rolled in front of this massive tomb, had, it, it, did it start to vibrate and kind of grind against the other rocks as it was, it was starting to be pulled back by some invisible power? And then maybe there was something else. Like, maybe, may, maybe there was like sort of that, that a cosmic hum. You know, when you're driving down like a, a deserted road, a very quiet area on some, some backwoods, and you go past these great big power lines, and you know if it's super quiet, you can hear the power lines. You know how you can hear that, that buzzing, that humming, and you're like, what is that? And you're like, maybe there was some cosmic hum, hum as, the, as the electricity is coursing through those copper lines. Maybe something was, was in the air. Maybe something happened and, and a light began to descend from heaven. Or better, in, in my picture, it, it actually started from inside the body of Jesus. And, and I picture it with, with, with kind of a pulsing, growing, and, and almost like a translucence where you could see the body starting to be put back together and things started to flow again. And, and there was a beating and then there was blood and then there was the, the breathing because God the Father and the Holy Spirit were conspiring against death to raise Jesus from the dead. I think of this picture and it reminds me that the resurrection of Jesus is like our proclamation. We have been emancipated. Now it might take a few more years before we experience the fullness of our freedom. 
But the promises have already been made. The power has already been unleashed. And these are the promises that are ours. See, resurrection is our victory over our God-forsakenness. Because in the very, very beginning, Adam and Eve were in the garden and they decided that they were going to do this thing apart from God. And in that moment, when we turned our back on our Creator, the world broke. The curse unfolded. Our rebellion became the center point of our story and our relationship with God. And inside, something happened, and we, we began to have a sense of being forsaken. I think of the cry of Jesus on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he was experiencing a forsakenness that is all entirely rightly ours. See, inside every human heart, there is something that that feels vaguely like emptiness. There is something inside of us, a longing for something that elusively remains just out of our reach. It's just out of our grasp. This is what the scriptures talk about as lostness or being empty. We're living life in vain. Things are all vanity or meaningless. We are feeling forsaken by God. And then Paul, writing in the Corinthians, and this is, this is the buildup of everything we've been doing for all of these months and studying the, the, the letter of the first Corinthians. This is where we have been heading. He says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, gospel means good news. By this good news, you are saved. You're saved. That's the promise that we can be saved from our God forsakenness. That we can be saved from that which we have brought upon ourselves and upon each other and upon our planet. That we can be saved from it. See, we are being saved from the consequences of our rejection of God if we want it. He goes on to say, For what I received, I passed on to you as a first importance that Christ died for our sins. This is the very heart of the whole gospel message of the Bible. No matter what else you think about the scriptures and what the message of Jesus was, this is the central message that from the very beginning the church has been talking about, that we can be saved because Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. He appeared to Cephas, Peter, then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500. You see, the resurrection of Christ tells us that we are saved. We're saved from the fear of nothingness. I mean, if we think through this, right, if, if, if the only picture that you have in your head is that after death there's nothingness, then the promise of resurrection means everything. It's the opposite of all that is nothing. Here we live a few short, hard years on earth. And by the way, they get increasingly difficult. You get older, you get weaker. Eventually, you'll be disoriented in some way, more than you can know. And we get sicker and we get sicker, and then you die. 
often in excruciating pain. This is our end. And then if, if that wasn't an indignity enough, then you're eaten by worms. Like, that's what you have. Without the resurrection, that's what you have. We're also saved from the tyranny of the values of this world, which is no small thing. The values of this world, they wrap themselves around our hearts and impact everything that we do and the way we treat each other and the things that we get obsessed with, right? He who, when I was growing up, this was a bumper sticker. He who dies with the most toys dies. I mean, can we just state that for, I mean, he who dies with the most toys dies. You are still dead. She who dies with the most money in retirement dies. We've got to remember this because he who dies with the most stamps in his passport dies. He who dies with the happiest and most well-adjusted kids dies. And she who dies in the C-suite and in the corner office dies. See, you have to begin to get the gravity of what Paul is saying. He is confronting us with this brutal truth that we spend most of our lives trying to get away from, trying to hide from the truth of it. And so in this world, there's greed and there's self-centeredness and there's insecurities and there's a, a, we, we claw ahead and we step on the weak and we have all of our stupid little political fights and all of this garbage. How many of our pursuits, how many of our fears, how many of our anxieties, they're going to seem so puny under the awesome weight of eternity with God. And we're saved from meaningless lives. We're saved from meaninglessness now and forever. Because if, have you ever really spent any time reflecting on what it means if there is no life after death? I mean, have you just spent any time just reflecting on it? Because you're not going to be remembered. That's just the truth of the matter. You're not going to be remembered in fewer generations than you would care to admit. All right, so we're gonna, here, here's a quick little fun game in a very depressing way. Shout it out, just shout it out all together. Either one, pick one. The name of your grandfather, shout it out. All right, let's, let's coordinate that a little bit better next time. All right, right. So let's shout out the name of your great grandfather. What's that? A little quieter. Okay, let's shout out the name of your great-great-grandfather. All right, because I'm hearing less and less if you talk. Let's shout out the name of your great-great-great-grandfather. Go one more. Another one. Anyone? So I think there might be a Peter back there somewhere, but I'm not really sure. I even did the ancestry thing because it was the only way I found out because even my grandfather had forgotten the name of his great 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 grandfather. If you are a remarkable and singular powerful force in this world, in a thousand years you will still be a footnote. And for the rest of us, we will long be forgotten. We get to be 
saved from our insecurities. There's this very cool kind of a, a passage. He says, then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also, Paul speaking, as to one abnormally born, for I am the least of the apostles, do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. And I, and I hear and hear the echo of a person that has such deep regrets of who they were and of what they've done and of their failures which is often the only thing that we can remember. And yet, in light of eternity, God is going to turn our failures into an incredible story about His redemptive love and His mercy. The resurrection will free you even from your failures here. And so if you have been a fear instigator or a conflict starter or a dream crusher in this life, the resurrection turns this into a moment of praise for your God. Resurrection is our salvation victory chant. Now I just, I want to talk directly for a moment to those who are more skeptical, cynical, simply doubting. I want to encourage you to check out Trevor's message from last week. He did an incredible job outlining the historicity and the reliability of the eyewitness accounts to the resurrection, and I think if you're a genuine seeker, you will find it very, very helpful. But for today, what I want to do is I want to give you a quick news flash, which is that science tells us that we are all going to die. And so Trevor had a fun, encouraging message. I want to tell you that meteorology tells us that we are destroying the planet. So thank you, meteorologists. You're very fun at cocktail parties. Geology tells us that the planet has undergone several massive extinction-level events and will likely experience more in the future. So thank you, geologists. Astronomy tells us it's only a matter of time before the sun burps real big and fries us up, um, or something big and nasty from deep space smashes into us with very little warning, or if that's not it, the sun will eventually blink out anyway and we'll all die a nice, very cold death. Actually, I got to tell you, astronomers have lots of ways they kill us. Um, I just, every time you read another article, you're like, thank you, astronomers. Anthropology and archaeologists, they go inward and they tell us that there has never been a human utopia, that, that we are a violent species prone to war, constant in creating ways to hurt and abuse and exercise injustice at every turn in the record. Zoologists and botanists, they continue to plead with us to stop killing off species of plants and animals. Chemists have entropy. Physicists can't get enough of the second law of thermodynamics. Every day there are articles in the popular and scientific journals that will tell us it all ends the same way us all dead, and all of our ancestors, and everyone that will come after us, will eventually just be blinked out in a great big cold of nothing. Paul captures some of this. He says, listen, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has been raised, then our preaching is useless and so is your faith. And you're like, well, that's kind of my point. I'm a, I'm a skeptic about these things. And he's saying, yeah, but do you understand what you're saying if that's the case? If you really want to go down that road, then that means the preaching 
that they included in there of, of goodness, of justice, of mercy, of treating people the way that God wants them to be treated as his children, that's all useless. It's meaningless. How are you going to build any sense of society on the promise of a future of meaninglessness? He goes on and he says, listen, and if Christ hasn't been raised, then your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. If that's the reality, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If you've ever been at a funeral and you've thought, this isn't right. Something is wrong here. We're not meant to be ripped away from each other. We're not meant to say goodbyes. That is something deep in your soul recognizing that we weren't meant for death. We weren't designed for it. We were meant for eternal life. And if you have any hope of anything past this life, then we have got to embrace the reality and the truth and the power of resurrection. He goes, as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? If I fought wild beasts at Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? And you might say, yeah, well, that was stupid for Paul to waste his life like that. But think about what he's saying here. He was doing all of this stuff that he thought was good to get us somewhere that was better for humanity. That fits a whole lot of the ways we live our lives today. There are tons of people all over the place who are trying the best they can to do something that matters. But without resurrection, in the end, it's going to amount to nothing. In fact, the only responsible answer is if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. And I think there are so many that we haven't wrestled with the reality of what this means. The only way that the good that we do here on earth, the only way it matters is if there is life after death. Even in the most scientifically accurate movie of the last 50 years, you guys know what that was, right? Star Wars, right? So Star Wars... They can't just deal with the science. They have to have the force and they have to say, look, the Jedi and others, they come back because it's the only way any of the struggle matters. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Every good we do in this world, if there is no life after death, is ultimately meaningless. There's a guy I know, he's determined to make a difference in the world. He attended Beacon some years ago. He's involved in politics. He's trying to get a high-level elected government position. Why? Well, because he's, he's angry at how unfair and unjust the world can be. And he wants to make a difference. And I look at this and I go, that's awesome. That is amazing to be able to be, be, have such a, a holy discontent that you are willing to do something to fix this world. That is great, and I applaud that. But if, there is, if you reject Christianity and with it the resurrection, to what end? Whether it's a thousand years or five thousand years or twenty-five thousand years, we're all dead. But with resurrection, everything matters. Every hurt of this life can be redeemed. Every mistake that we make can be made right. Every accomplishment that we have here is part of an eternal story of humanity that can be told forever. It's a future where every tear gets wiped away. See, everything 
changes if we embrace the truth about the resurrection and we seek to live in the beauty and the power of that promise. We get to live differently now. I mean, he tells us, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. See, the resurrection is what, what drove him. Because what we do now matters not for five years or ten years or fifty years or two hundred years. It matters forever. What kind of, what better motivation do you need than that? He worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. And he recognized that him and God together working for the kingdom principles and for what God wants to see happen in this world means that he was investing in something that mattered. And he said, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It isn't empty. It isn't meaningless. It will matter forever. You see, resurrection is the reason that we get to sacrifice here on earth, and we get to live for the good of others, and we get to live by a different set of principles than the world, because this really matters forever. Forever. And not only do we get to live differently, we get to die differently. Now, here's one of the most difficult verses in the whole of 1 Corinthians, and I I really do want to take a look at it. It's been very much misunderstood and misapplied, and no one really knows in many ways what it's saying. But it says, now if there's no resurrection, what what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And it sounds like he's saying, if a person dies, you can later be baptized for them. And some religions actually do even practice this. The problem is, it doesn't show up anywhere else in the New Testament. It contradicts other parts of Paul's teaching, and so people are kind of confused by it. And we also know that there was no indication that this was going on at Corinth during this time in history. And so scholars don't know what to do with it, and there's like 40 different interpretations of it. But recently, I'd come across one that a number of scholars are starting to to embrace. And they're saying, listen, this all turns on one preposition. And if we press the preposition just a little bit further than some are particularly comfortable with, we get to, this ends up fitting the context perfect. And here's a little paraphrase. It could say this. Now, if there is no resurrection, what will happen to those who have been baptized because of those already dead? If the dead aren't raised, why are people hoping to be reunited with them? Think of a mother who has lived a godly and Christian life. And she has loved her family. And yet one of her kids has decided to to move away and reject faith and, and not follow in the footsteps of the mother. And yet there on her deathbed, the mother reaches out and and grabs her child's hand and pleads and says, I I don't want to be away from you. I want you to accept Christ as your Savior. I want to be with you for all of eternity. Like, this isn't the end of our story. Like, let's not let it be the end. Trust in Christ. And that testimony of a saint with a a life that was well-lived and a death that was honorable and admirable and reflected the hope of Christ was enough to put a rejecting child on a path toward accepting Christ. And ultimately themselves being baptized, folded into the community with the hope that they too will one day be reunited with both the mom and the rest of the Christian community. 
Now, whether or not that's exactly this interpretation, we have many more years in research, I'm sure, before, but it fits the rest of the context because we not only live differently, but we ought to, as followers of Christ, die differently. Some of you know Rich Vizera. Now, Rich Vizera is a guy here at the church. He's part of our pastoral leadership incubator, and um, he's a riot and you guys would be privileged if you ever get a chance to know him and have coffee with him. And just anyway, he's in the incubator and um, he tells stories about the many times he has almost died. And so I know that sounds a little bit morbid, but it's really quite funny when you hear it from Rich. Uh, and so he has a serious condition that has required multiple surgeries, heart condition, a valve and an infection and all of this kind of stuff. And I was like, you know, he told me a story one time. That uh, And I was actually going to ask him, I was like, you know, maybe I should ask Rich to come up and share his story with us because it's such a fun uh, way of thinking about dying, uh, which is weird, but, uh, but it is. And so he tells me, he tells this story, he told our, our incubator that he was, he was in the car and, and suddenly he, he, something, he knew something was wrong with his body, something was wrong with his heart. And so he said good, goodbye to Deb, his wife, that he was ready to go, and he felt like this was finally the end of all of these surgeries and all of these problems but he was ready. And so they get him over to the hospital and they get him into the, you know, they're starting to work on him on a gurney and they got multiple people working. He's got his arm stretched out and there's a nurse on this side and there's a nurse on this side and they're trying to put a pacemaker in and his heartbeat is dropping. It's down to like 20. And he says to all of the nurses and doctors, he says, you know, I'm, I'm leaving now, but it's okay. And they're like, no, you are not leaving now. <laughs> That's the last thing they want to be hearing anyone say. But he's like, no, but it's okay. It really is okay. I'm ready to go. My, my father is taking me home. And he had already said goodbye to, De goodbye to Deb and that he loved her. And they're like, no. So the one nurse, and he's saying, don't worry. Like, it's okay. And then he turns to the other nurse, a young nurse, and he says, do you believe in God? All right, he's, I told you he's dying on a gurney. Right? Do you believe in God? And, and she says, well, I don't know. You know, maybe I believe in something. And he looks at her. He pauses. He prays. He looks at her and he says, your, your father in heaven wants you to know that he loves you. That's what I feel like God is telling me to tell you right now. He's measuring his last breaths. And he is dying so well. I was going to ask Rich to come and tell us his story, but um, then I, I get a letter from him on, on Friday morning, and he says, hey, Robert, I wanted to let you know that I won't be at Incubator this Saturday. I'm in the hospital with what could be a very serious outcome. I asked Rich if I could share his stories, and he said yes. He said they think it might have another heart infection which would require another surgery, still waiting to see if blood cultures grow bacteria. If I need surgery, mortality rate's about 35% after surgery. I'm okay with whatever my Lord wills for me as I believe it's for the good. So don't worry about me. Just in case, I wanted you to know how much you've meant to me. You're truly my spiritual leader. I've learned so much from you. I thank God that I found you. If I leave earth a little early, I'll definitely put in a good word for you with Jesus. 
which he knows that I need. Also, tell Trevor that he has meant so much to me. If you can record the incubator session and I survive this, I would watch it in private. <laughs> anyway, my friend and pastor, I share my suffering with our Lord Jesus Christ, so I am in good company. Please pray that God gives me the strength to endure what may lie ahead in peace, while also letting me know him more closely than ever. His will be done. Hopefully, I can shine through this ordeal. Bless you, Robert. Rich. He's still waiting for the blood cultures to come back. Maybe he'll be with us again and maybe we'll see him in heaven. When you live in the promise and the power of the resurrection, your life gets turned upside down in all of the best ways. You get to die well. You get to invite others into an eternal dance with their creator and with you and with the community of faith, with the Christian family. Why is it that Christians don't talk about this all the time? Fifteen chapters. We have sixteen in this letter. And this is the point that Paul was building up to. If you are a non-believer here today, if you're a pre-Christian, we, we apologize that we don't talk to you about this and encourage you with this hope all the time. This is the great hope and truth of our faith. That when you breathe your last, that you can experience life in a whole new way. Paul, he goes into this beautiful discussion about it. He goes, so it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, but it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. That's the world that we live in now. That's what we're experiencing now. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Paul is trying to raise our horizons. He's trying to help us look past the veil that separates us from the next life. And he says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash. In the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Amen. And when we get our new spiritual bodies, this world is going to seem like a vapor, a mist. The, sol the solidity of this world is going to like seem like a quickly wilting flower. And what will come is going to fill our hearts with more joy and satisfaction than we could ever have imagined. We are going to enter into the new heaven and the new earth. And it's going to be like this one, but without the curse. It is going to be without sin and it's going to be without injustice and without sickness and without conquest and without envy and without greed. And people are going to find genuine joy and meaning in their work. We're going to find joy in our rest. We're going to build these just and sustainable 
whole civilizations. We're going to explore this great creation. There's going to be art and theater and music and architecture without all of the things that corrupt those things. And there's going to be dances and there's going to be long walks in, in, in pristine forests and without ticks or mosquitoes or anything like that. And it, and it is going to be a world that we see in our dreams but in our steepest of souls, we genuinely long for. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Father, we, we are asking that you would put this truth so firmly rooted in our souls that we would live every single day, every single moment of the day in this great awareness that death has been swallowed up in victory. That our great day of freedom is soon and fast approaching. And that in the context of all of time, it will be just a few short breaths more. And we will be with you forever. That we will be walking with our, our creator in the cool of the garden. That we will be celebrating the conquest over sin and death. Captured at the cross, one and proven in the resurrection, the resurrection that is ours, that we might be raised together and with you. Give us this hope every day. Amen. If you enjoyed the sermon, want to learn more about Jesus, or get to know our community, please visit beacon.church to get connected. We would love to hear from you.